Again, this is going to be the last uh, teaching in our series, Holy Rupture. And uh, I'm going to share some stories this morning from, from my life. Some of, some of them you may have heard in other contexts uh, before. Um, but to me, these, these represent kind of this, this movement that we've been talking about and uh, a posture of participating with the spirit that uh, for me has has changed just the directionality of my life and um, changed my experience of God in, in uh, profound ways and uh, has become just a tremendous source of joy, of liberation and freedom. And uh, I'll, I'll try to put, put uh, words that maybe can uh, help uh, help give some ladders or structure to some of your experiences as well. Um, so here here are some words. Experiencing the rupture between old and new creation could be one way of describing this. Um, experience the rupture between moving backward and moving forward or nostalgia uh, and curiosity or contraction versus expansion or contamination versus illumination. So those are some of the words that I just want to put in our in our minds as we move uh, this morning. And I want to start with a story from my childhood. I, um, I had a pet cat. Um, his name was Toby. And um, this isn't the exact picture of Toby, but pretty much what our cat looked like. So if I had a picture of Toby, this this would uh, be this reminds me of Toby, and uh, Toby was pretty independent. Cat did its own thing. Was like an avid hunter, um, and found ways of getting in trouble in our yard and neighbors' yards. We um, I, I would say we generated a good deal of complaints from our cat Toby. Uh, I remember this one day in particular, though, because my mom had just planted some flowers in the in the garden, and Toby went and just dug them all up, and was absolutely in the proverbial doghouse for a, a, a cat, and um, we left to go shopping, and um, then the Toby was out. And when we, we returned, we found our cat kind of just perched like uh, the Sphinx on our front stoop, waiting for us to come home. And in front of Toby was... Um, uh, how, do, how do I... I mean, the story starts to become a little unbelievable, but um, there's this cardinal in front of Toby. And uh, aside from gardening, my mom is an avid bird lover and bird watcher. So just think about like the best uh, trophy bird in our yard. Toby has caught and killed and has it positioned 
right in front of him on the stoop waiting for us to come home. And there's not a scratch on this bird. It's not like it's laying in a puddle of blood or there's like disheveled uh, feathers from getting like swatted out of the air. Somehow Toby caught this bird and was able to kill it without any marks. It was then presented and I immediately knew two things. Like one, oh my word, this is like a peace offering. Our cat has made an animal sacrifice to the Lord of the house and um, it's there presented without blemish or defect. Uh, so it, it kind of blew my mind. Um, uh, the second thing that happened immediately is uh, my mom just kind of lost it. Uh, like a pro like you just you dug out my garden and now you killed like my favorite bird you know um so toby almost lost its life uh that day um but uh but i had this like i'm, I'm thinking you know i i see the cat's face of like like total confusion when the perfect sacrifice was not acceptable and pleasing to the lord um and it was just confounding. So if there was a therapist for cats, um, Toby would have been there like, I don't know what to do. I don't know how else to communicate. Um, you know, I, I don't know why this wasn't, I, I thought I did a great job, you know, and didn't. So this, this uh, impulse to sacrifice is just kind of fascinating to me. And um, this story kind of relates in several ways as we move throughout this morning, but I'll, I'll, I'll tell another story of my life. Um, there's this, this, you know, this, this passage in number six about making a Nazarite vow. Lord said to Moses, speak to the Israelites and say to them, if a man or woman wants to make a special vow, a vow of dedication to the Lord as a Nazarite, they must abstain from wine and other fermented drink and uh, must not drink vinegar made from wine or other fermented drink. And then it like goes on and on. You don't cut your hair and you do all this kind of stuff. But what else stood out to me um, was this making a special vow to God. And the special vow to God had to do of, of kind of, of like an abstinence. And uh, I remember even up, this is my 20 year old self. Um, and this is how I, I, I thought um, internally and then probably explicitly said this to God. Um, but I was, I made a vow to God that I was not going to have any like no tobacco or you know illegal substance or alcohol would ever touch my mouth like i would never even try it so it's like for i made it like 20 years um and this this abstaining from these uh substances i was going to make as a special offering to god so what i envisioned you know i i envisioned the standing before god um, you know, after I died and I would kind of present my pure abstinence before the Lord. 
And at that time, that was sexual abstinence. That, but, but that I wasn't making a, I, I didn't make a lifelong like celibacy vow. It, um, that was like just not until I got married. And um, but the stuff that would you know travel my whole life was no alcohol or tobacco. Like I would never taste it. And this would be this holy offering, um, demonstrating my love for God. Uh, so it's like, what can I do to really show God how much I love God was was going to kind of take this modern version of a, a Nazarite, Nazarite vow. Um, what? Um, okay, I'm going to I want to skip ahead two slides to tell another story. All right, this is uh, in Israel. This is the Western Wall or the Wailing Wall. So that's kind of the foundation of what was the Temple Mount. All right, one of, uh, so I'm 20, right? This is uh, spring of my sophomore year in college studying Israel. And one of my, my favorite things to do at night, it would be late, it could be uh, 12, 1, 2 in the morning. And I would uh, walk the old city in Jerusalem just on my own. It was quiet, it was ancient, it just was like this amazing time. Uh, I, I would do that a few times a week. This one particular, this was early era, I think it was like 10 o'clock or something like that. And I'm, I'm walking the, the, the streets of the old city in Jerusalem. And I, I see this gentleman kind of coming my way in a, like he's in a panic. He, he, he is uh, by himself and um, distraught and kind of turning and looking and like he's lost a kid or something like that. And uh, I ask him, I'm like, do you need any help? And uh, I can tell he's, he, he's speaking English to me in a broken French accent. Um, uh, he's got a kippo on and a, and a, and a prayer shawl. Um, not like ultra Orthodox Jew, but definitely conservative. Um, and um, he just, he's able to say, I'm, I'm trying to find the wall. I'm, I'm the wall, the wall. That's kind of all he can get out. And so I, I immediately understand, oh, here, this gentleman's on a pilgrimage to get to the Wailing Wall. And the old city is a maze. Like it is, it is a maze, but I've walked in enough. I knew my way around. I'm like, oh, I can take you there. And I introduced myself. I'm like, my name is David. And I go to shake his hand. I've shared this. Like, he literally, it, it, it was like an old Western movie where they have um, the, the guys on ropes. And so when they get shot, it just like yanks them out of the room and they fly through a wall. That's what it felt like. It was like a rope pulled him immediately backward. He, flew, he threw himself against the wall and his hands back so that like I wouldn't touch him. And I realized in that moment that like I am a defiling Gentile. Here he's made a pilgrimage from France 
Uh, he's gone through all of his understanding of being ritually pure and is going to to venture to the the holiest existing site in his uh, faith tradition. And it was almost ruined by A, not being able to find it and meet, being touched by uh, uh, this you know, contaminating Gentile. That, that image is like seared in me. Um, and at the time it was like, I just, I understood what was going on. And, uh, and I was actually, I was pretty tolerant. I wasn't, uh, offended per se. Um, but I was like, all right, well, I'll take you. So he, walked far away from me and I led him to the wall. And this is kind of the, uh, if you, if we were over to the right side of this picture, maybe a hundred yards, this would be the image looking down. Cause you kind of come up, uh, from above in this, the, the way that we were going and he sees it and is just like completely elated and in a like another world and just starts running just starts booking uh, to the wall and as he's as he's running i i just kind of like under my breath i'm like yeah you're welcome <laughs> but this is how it 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 stayed with me uh and, and it wasn't in judgment of him i it was almost immediately turned. It became this, I wonder how my own senses of being pure before God keep me from seeing others. Or um, shade my vision in a way that dehumanizes others. Like I, I you know, when I like look at that moment, this to him is like probably one of the holiest days of his life, like just a sacred experience. And it was almost contaminated by me, another image bearer. Um, and ironically, someone <laughs> who is trying to make special purity vows to God. Like that's how I'm really going to show God that I love him. Uh, and I can see myself in this person. You know, how I'm really going to show God is I'm going to do this pilgrimage to Israel, which I also did. Um, I'm going to keep all the purity laws um, and I'm not going to be contaminated. And that's going to be my loving offering to God. Uh, but completely unaware that he just dehumanized me. Like I was not a person. I was a contaminant that I was a barrier to his love to God. And I, I'm sure that he would have said, he'd been able to quote Leviticus, love your neighbor as yourself. And I was someone that he was to love and welcome. Um, and that his not being touched by me didn't have anything to do about <laughs> his religious love for me. Yet it was demonstrated like I wasn't even there. I was erased I was um, uh, like Google Maps. Um, so the dehumanizing that comes at the expense of a sense of religiousness or religious purity um, really was 
profound to me. Um, I want to review. So our first message on Easter Sunday on Holy Rupture began in Genesis. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the waters and God said, let there be light. And God separated, Badal, the light from the darkness. And uh, I mentioned that Genesis 1 is, is often thought to be the priestly source. So the same kind of tradition that um, wrote Leviticus, that priestly tradition. Um, this is the creation account from priests in which separating is um, really critical. And um, then here, here is the Levitical tradition in Leviticus 20. Keep all my decrees and laws and follow them so that the land where I am bringing you to live may not vomit you out. You must not live according to the customs of the nations I am going to drive out before you because they did all these things. I abhorred them. But I said to you, you will possess their land. I will give it to you as an inheritance, a land flowing with milk and honey. I am the Lord your God who has set you apart from the nations. Badal, separated, like light from darkness, the sinful nations from the righteous nation, you know. And so in this, the, the separating kind of um, spirit or that energizing activity, um, I feel like this, here are the seeds of religious supremacy. Um, and also uh, ranking of one nation above the other. And then the justification um, for uh, genocide. Uh, so I'm just kind of like a name, naming a kind of animating spirit that is put in, that has relig religious roots that kind of produces not harmony, but harm. You must therefore make a distinction, badal, between clean and unclean animals and between unclean and clean birds. Do not defile yourself by any animal or bird or anything that moves along the ground. Those that I have set apart, badal, as unclean for you. You are to be holy to me because I am the Lord. I am holy and I have set you apart from the nations to be my own. And so like what I experienced that day in Israel was... Badal, like I was separated. I was a defiler. I was unclean. And that was the discernment that was taking place at that, that, that point for this, this, this gentleman. And it was like religiously endorsed. And you can see that spirit uh, manifests itself in religious and non-religious spaces. I just want us to identify a particular kind of animating energy. Um, and uh, interrogate it. In the beginning, holiness is defining, categorizing, separating, keeping everything in its right place. Holiness is badal. Um, learning to separate is uh, the first half of life. Everything in its right place, you'd say, has uh, maybe a developmental appropriate time and place for that. 
And we looked at how Mark's gospel kind of takes us back to Genesis uh, and starts with the baptism as a, uh, a tearing of this uh, spiritual energy and like an injection in, in a, like I'm telling a new narrative. Uh, so in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Just as Jesus was coming out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open. That's that schizo, torn open. And the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my son whom I love with you. I am well pleased. So instead of the, the separation of heavens and earth and light and dark, uh, that boundary is torn open and the hovering spirit descends and kind of the voice of heaven brings up the life from earth. Um, and I just think it's a wonderful, beautiful image. Baptism is a new birth. It is a new beginning. It is a new creation with, a new, with new words being spoken. At baptism, heaven is no longer separated from earth. The boundary is torn. Heaven and earth are being brought together. Heaven is being torn open and the spirit descending on Jesus like a dove. The boundary is ruptured. The separation is eliminated. And I think it's just a remarkable, powerful opening of a witness of uh, what gospel is. The first half of life is learning to distinguish and separate. The second half of life is learning how to bring things together in harmony. You have heard it said, holiness is the work of separating. But I say to you, holiness is the work of bringing all things together. Uh, and I just see Jesus giving witness to all this. It's the bringing together work of Jesus. It's the, you are not unclean. Um, I, uh, you're not spoiling the bunch, but I am the good apple that like brings healing and life and salvation to the bunch. Um, Jesus shows that the holiness of God is incorruptible. It doesn't need to be quarantined and separated and kept safe from contamination. Jesus is holiness embodied that is in solidarity. Uh, with the suffering, the blemishes, and the blood, and the, the guts of the world, um, and is coming near, not separating from it. So it's a completely different spirit. It's a different posture. It's a different momentum. It's a different um, direction. And that's all in this rupturing um, that we're naming as holy. At first, religion is badal, but then religion is bringing together religio or re-ligamenting. So I think that's like why Mark begins um, his story with baptism, because it's where it all changes. This is where all begin again. After the tearing of everything, there is a mending from the rupture and death of our first life. We rise out of the water into a new way of being human. Holiness is completely redefined. Holiness is harmonizing and expanding rather than separating and quarantining or quarantined. Uh, holiness is incorruptible. And um, I find that just really remarkable. Um, so there's, there's a second aspect that I want to uh, bring 
in moving, um, this is the message we did on eunuchs and the kingdom of God on Pentecost, um, the Ethiopian eunuch and that rupturing of that, eth not just the ethnic boundary that the spirit ruptured, but also the sexual other uh, boundary that the spirit um, wasn't showing a distinction around, wasn't afraid of. Um, but here's this impulse again um, like I would say, like a badal understanding, a separating understanding of, of holiness. Uh, Leviticus 21, the Lord said to Moses, say to Aaron, for the generations to come, none of your descendants who has any defect may come near to offer the food of his God. No man who has any defect may come near. No man who is blind or lame, disfigured or deformed, no man with a crippled foot or a hand or is a hunchback or a dwarf or who has any eye defect or has any festering or running sores or damaged testicles. So Moses told this to Aaron and his sons and to all the Israelites. Now, this religious impulse to say what God needs is like the perfect specimen has its roots in a kind of idea about the world. And Again, this isn't like a Jewish thing. This is just an animated spirit thing. Because in Judaism, you have even in the, in the Hebrew Bible, you have things that counteract this notion of the world. Um, but it's this idea of if we could only get back, um, get back to Eden, get back to the original design um, that we fell from, that was corrupted from, that we sin from, that like that became defective, like the defective copy. If we could get back to the original, then like all will be well with us and the world. Right in the beginning, holiness is getting back to the original idea, back to perfection, back to before things went wrong. If only we could get back to Eden. Holiness looks backward. I'm going to say this, like in this Badal understanding the energy is backward. It's, um, and it's, the eyes are focused on the past. Holiness is presenting the past in the present. So um, disease, defect, not the perfect male specimen is a sign of things that went wrong. And we're to come to God presenting how things should have been or could have been. Um, it's kind of presenting the past ideal in the present, and that's religious work. The spiriting energy goes backward. How do we maintain and reproduce the original design uh, becomes like the animated question. Um, what did God design at the beginning, and then it went wrong, and we got to get back there. Does that does that uh, does that make sense? Um, we see that in nationalistic movements, which become purifying. We need to get back when it was just the pure us, and it's these contaminating others that are, are the reason and the cause for the problems in the world. If only we could get back when things were great, um, is a religious posture that has an animated spirit 
And it actually works against the shalom of the world, even as it's presenting as the life that is truly life. And I, I want to see this, there's this like pretty dramatic shift in the New Testament, giving witness to a new energy or a new direction. Paul said, but Christ said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest in me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Now, the whole big meal... Remember, we have used that image. The, the meal that Paul is trying to serve in this second letter is the Corinthians are a bit ashamed of Paul because he's not heroic. And he's in prison often. And he's beat. And we want someone who's victorious, who's strong. I... I prefer uh, people who weren't prisoners of war. See, you like hear that, that logic um, presented uh, in this like sense of the ideal man. And weakness is not ideal and is a, shame, is a shameful space. And they can't bring the offerings to God. But here, Paul's reversing that move. In fact, I am presenting you, drawing you near to the Christ who also suffered. And Christ taught me something about my weaknesses. Um, they've been shifted for me. No longer are they a, a thing of defection or separation, but they've become a location uh, for Christ's powerful work in me of transformation. Uh, there's something about weaknesses and these defects that have become sacred uh, rather than stumbling blocks. And I'm going to say this shift takes a different animating energy um, to look into the things that you might be ashamed of or don't look good on the resume, um, all of a sudden these become locations of new creation, which is really powerful. It's a, it's a reversal of that uh, kind of old creation priestly impulse of what we expect God to be like and what we expect God to want. So my defects used to be things to be ashamed of. They were signs of imperfection, signs that I am broken and far from the past ideal. Defects were barriers that kept me from God. They were signs of separation. That's old. The new is my defects are places of power and presence of the divine. They are not things to hide, but places of new creation. Not signs of what is wrong and weak, but sacraments of grace and strength. So I'm going to 
just pause there and see if this stirs anything in you. What is spirit stirring in you? What do you wonder about? What questions does this raise for you in, in thinking about a new spirit, a new animated life direction? So another story. So 20 years old, studying in Israel that spring, had this, I, I was the defiling, the Gentile defiler. Uh, five of us went to Egypt for spring break. And uh, the Sunday we were there, we, we went to uh, uh, Egyptian Coptic uh, church service. And, you know, at the end of the service, they had communion and it, it came, you know, they passed the tray just like my church at home. And there was little like plastic cups, just like my uh, church at home. And, and then a, a plate with the, uh, the bread. Uh, so it was very familiar and, you know, take and eat and then uh, drink, drink ye all of it. And um, I, I drank ye all of it threw it back and like in shock realized this was not grape juice. This was, this was uh, fermented fruit of the vine. And um, I, it was almost like a, I almost had a, a panic attack, but it was so disrupting. Um, and all of this, um, my special vow so like I literally did it. I made it. I made a special vow before God that I would not taste fermented drink. Um, and, and so I have this like feeling of dread and uh, like I'm not going to be able to fulfill my vow. And then at the same time, I'm having this, but it's like communion. So how can communion be corrupting? And then I'm like, but I didn't make that distinction um and i w i had like my integrity like dial on like telling the truth and not telling lies was like so strongly set that i'm like i can't i was trying to rationalize communion in my mind so it's like god that doesn't count and so i can keep my vow but it was like but how can i really honestly and so i'm 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 a 20 year old in religious turmoil. And, you know, at that point, I'm like, well, if I had been Catholic, it's not really wine. It's literally the body and blood of Christ, but I'm not Catholic and I never believed that before and I can't just adopt that now. Um, so the, the, the whole thing. So here are these two experiences. Uh, the guy on pilgrimage who couldn't touch me because I was unclean and then being corrupted in communion became these signs to me of something deep that spirit was doing in my life.
that um, there was a rupturing of how I, uh, my view of God and what God wanted from me. Uh, um, it was like this tear that began there that was not going to be mended. Um, and this passage, this was the passage that I reflected on kind of in that the last several weeks I was in Israel was Colossians 2, 20 through 23. Since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world. Now it's interesting here because Paul's just like saying these, these religious impulses that we're calling like holy, that it's like a spiritual force, but it really has nothing to do with God. It's actually just a worldly force. You can see it evidenced all over the place uh, in all kinds of religions and no faith tradition. There's like these spiritual energies that animate a particular direction, separating, purifying, othering, contamination, quarantining, um, this kind of religious energy. Why as though you still belong to the world do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. So all of a sudden it's like, the highest thing I could think of to tell God, I am all yours. I surrender to you completely. And I want to demonstrate in a special way that I really, really love you was through purity rules of abstinence. Like it, it didn't even occur to me that um, what God wanted was me to love others with an unconditional supernatural love like that i didn't think of making that vow like that was a part i would say sure that's a part of my tradition but the special vow was about do not handle do not taste do not touch these rules which have to do with things that are all destined to perish with use are based on merely human commands and teachings such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom like and, and for me they absolutely did like it made sense to me. That vow made sense to me. And in my tradition, like I was regarded as like, like the top of the class, um, the, the Christian with the most stars. Um, so I was honored as like one above my years. As a 20 year old, yet my locked in animating energy was quite different with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. And it was this last line that really hit home to me and I realized was true. Those rules lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. Like I, it was either all no or the guardrails are off, <laughs> you know, and just like give yourself to like unquenchable hedonism or something like that. Like I, I had no idea just like what is wise, beneficial uh, interaction with things that were dangerous, like um, alcohol or, you know, like, or my own sexuality. It was just a no. Um, and it, and the, the no didn't prepare any kind of like just um, appropriate 
wise interaction with how we've been made and how to use these powerful um, parts of who we are in service to love and loving well um, and really know what self, um, like really knowing what saying no to harmful self-indulgences are um, that become exploitive of other people for your own needs. It's like, that's the stuff that needs to be refined and honed. And I realized that I actually wasn't very mature in any of that at all. And I had a lot of learning to do. I love that communion story, how the table of the Lord actually defiled your purity, Val. I do. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, thanks, Greg. Absolutely. It is beyond ironic. Um, Clearly, there was a calling on your life for this priestly vocation. Toby the cat brought that perfect sacrifice. Who else has these stories? (laughs) I mean, uh, I, I'm still blown away. I'm, uh, blown away. Um, uh, that, right, that happened. Um, I want to tell uh, one more, one more story from my life here. So this goes back to 2012. And um, if you're living in Minnesota at the, at the time, this was the year uh, that there was a constitutional amendment on uh, the November ballot. And um, voting yes was to have a constitutional amendment that defined marriage as one man and one woman. And voting no uh, was we don't want a constitutional amendment defining marriage exclusively and kind of denying the ability of, of gay people to get married. So that was, that was 2012. I remember giving, uh, the, the, the Sunday message. Some of you are, are still here. The Sunday before that vote, and it was on the kingdom of God and how the kingdom of God is not uh, legislated um, in constitutional amendments. And that was the reason why, as a church, we didn't have any signs. So we had, we had a lot of pressure from uh, Transform Minnesota, which is the evangelical network, to put these vote yes signs in our, on our church property. And it was like... No, we're not doing that. Um, and there was plenty of, of churches who had vote no signs on their, their property. And, um, you know, our big stand was no signs. Uh, and that made sense at the time for us. Like where our community is at, where, we, where I was at, where a lot of, like I think the majority of our community was like that, that maybe even if you have a traditional understanding of marriage, like that's not our place to like kind of make laws against people who don't share that conviction. Yeah. Um, But for me personally, so, you know, Tuesday in November, 2012, 
I personally voted no. I, I didn't think we should have a constitutional amendment defining marriage as one man and one woman. But for my own faith, I believe that was the, that was the definition of marriage. So for me, I, I, like, I was compassionately conservative in my understanding of marriage. And I, and I say not just my view of marriage, but there was still an energizing badal in my religious spirit. That holiness was separating. I kind of had a, a manage of there's this things that can kind of contaminate it. Um, and, I, and I believe that marriage required two different body parts. Like somehow God really cared about that. And again, it was like, well, go back to the original design and it was Adam and Eve, you know, and they had two different body parts. And somehow that complementarity of body parts was really important for to God and therefore really important uh, to me. So marriage was about getting back to Eden rather than seeing the expanding universe of agape. That like there was a, my understanding was backward, not... Do I see the Spirit of God taking us beyond our separations and our barriers and our binaries um, and being able to discern that the Spirit's not showing a distinction and actually two women and uh, two men can make commitments and covenants of fidelity and love and the Spirit is there and it's new creation and it's beautiful and it, and it promotes love and flourishing. Um, that it's not a distortion, it's not a defect, um, and it's not a contamination of what, of what God considers holy, but is a manifestation of the spirit of holiness. Like, I couldn't see it. I was unable to see and give witness to spirit at work and alive in places that I was taught were defective and not according to the original design. So here I, I want to share a, a mystical experience that I had. And it, it was mine. It is not for anyone else. Uh, and I rarely talk about it. But I, I came out of voting. And so I'm at the Minnetonka Community Center. And I'm coming back to my car. And I get in my car. And I'm there. there's kind of a sense of like, I have spiritual pride. Like, look at me. I have this personal conviction. Uh, but I allowed for difference in the law. Um, and it was like, kind of felt like this manifestation of my understanding of faithfulness to God. And then I had this experience, like God was having a conversation with me that like, Christ was speaking and, and maybe it was, I don't, I don't know, like when Paul's like, but Christ said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. Um, and it shifted weaknesses and defections for him. This was like that. It shifted something in me. It ripped something out. Um, dramatically so all at one time, but just like with a few words. Uh, so the words were something like this. David, I see what you're doing. It's like God talking to me. David, I see what you're doing. You are going to bring your perfect 
definition of marriage and hold it and kind of defend it to the grave. And then you're going to present this perfect definition of marriage to me as an offering when you die and stand before me. So that's the, David, I see what you're doing. So in the context of all of these other stories of my life, do you, you see, um, I was going to bring no, no alcohol, no tobacco, and present it as a special vow and offering to God. David, I see what you're doing. The same thing with marriage. You're going to bring this in front of me as an offering. And the next words, I just, I absolutely became undone. Like I, I wept uncontrollably. And it was like in this moment, everything became clear and um, nothing was known at the same time. This is the words I heard going to bring this as an offering to me and I don't want it. I don't want it. And it was like in that moment so much of my animating spirit was like finding cardinals and killing them offering them to God. And God didn't want it. What I thought was a perfect sacrifice was unwanted. kind of shared, you know, a lot of uh, Matthew 1 this year about Joseph. Um, but I, I, because I relate to Joseph. Faithful to the law. I, I can imagine him like wanting to be pure, to show God as one approved um, and yet this relationship with Mary was absolutely disrupted by a untimely and unconventional birth story. And the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and the whole story changed. And, um, you know, I, I think of like, would have Joseph would have, would he have done something different? Like, did he, was the dream necessary? Uh, was there a different way for Joseph to uh, shift courses? Maybe, probably. Like, I, I, I wonder, for me, um, like, would I have changed my mind about gay marriage and my LGBTQ plus siblings if I didn't have that mystical rupturing kind of voice from God. I don't know. 
maybe. I mean, I, I feel like these seeds were there, like all of, um, maybe eventually I would, but I, I don't know. That for me was the rupturing experience that changed everything. And uh, then I had to make sense of it. It's like, I didn't know what to do with the verses in the Bible that I, you know, just preached about. <laughs> that definitely define marriage as like needing two different body parts. So that it's like, uh, but it's like in time, all of that too was made new and reconciled. And um, my love for the scripture and how God has always spoken to me through the, the scriptures are still true to me and even more so than in the past and in new ways and liberating ways. Uh, but for me, 2012 November, it was a rupturing mystical encounter that shifted things for me. Uh, and I wouldn't... Uh, what I what I want to say is like now like the the posture of new creation versus old creation of like faithing in new ways I just wouldn't I am so glad I'm not there back there I'm so glad I would not go back to that way of thinking ugh for there's just nothing to me that I want about that. Um, but yet going through the experience, it wasn't like, uh, it was devastating as much as it was liberating. And um, I entered a, a pretty deep season of depression uh, after that year. Um, 2013 was a really difficult year for me. Uh, and some of it was like, you know, even as this relates seasonally as coming to another sabbatical season, that was the first sabbatical was in 2012. And it was after, you know, again, there was this rupturing of the congregation that felt like um, we didn't preach the gospel anymore. We only talk about the kingdom of God. Um, and I was overwhelmed with the heaviness of knowing I was in a, spiritual community that would not accept what I've just experienced. Like it, it was religiously unacceptable and kind of uh, where I felt now the spirit is summoning me uh, would be highly resisted, unwelcome, and put me on the outside of the, the group. Um... And that was really depressing and it was heavy. And I didn't, I didn't know if I should resign then. Cause it's like, I was tired of continuing to have to lead in a, in a, a community that didn't want to go to certain places. Um, but yet even then in the darkness of that time, there was just a reassuring voice of be patient and wait and all of this will be led and you don't have to know how it turns out. 
And my only ask is you continue to love everyone. Wherever people are at. And you're faithful to you know, what you've received. That you give it as a gift. And some of it will take root. And some of it will land on... Uh, you know, rocky soil, some on others, and it's not yours to control that or worry about it. So for me, you know, this series is deeply personal in trying to navigate and um, find the words of uh, the path that we've been on as a community and, and I've been on and the bigger reality beyond like uh, being fully affirming and inclusive of all of God's children uh, really learning to see and celebrate the diversity of sexual orientations and gender identities and experiences and being able to see these aren't defects uh, but our sacramental signs of the Spirit of God in an expanding universe that are lovely and can be embraced and um, uh, how I've experienced the, the gifts that are brought from the queer community and seeing the queerness of the scriptures and of the Jesus story uh, Matthew 1, 19 through 24 is a queer story. It's a queering. It's a rupturing. It's a non-binary story. It's not a this or that. It's a, it's a what? This, this defies all of it. Um, and the, the journey is one that spirit sustains faithfully. Um, and it's a joy to give witness to it. I'll pause and get your comments here and then I, I just have um, a verse and a prayer for us as, as we close. As I listened to you speak about weakness being perceived as bad or shameful, it did remind me of the visual of the broken pottery being made more beautiful and strong by reinforcing the broken pieces with gold and silver. Oh, interesting. Thank you for that picture. That says, everything was cleared, yet nothing was known. Thank you, Pat. I'm so thankful for reconciliation, for past beliefs being ruptured and being able to move forward and upward. I would not want to go back either. Uh, so thankful you did not resign and you have continued to lead and teach us. Thank you, Kristen. Watching my bird feeder as I listen to this, a little house finch with a, a cardinal's beak sitting on my deck rail, realizing it's a baby cardinal when the daddy cardinal shows up to supervise his young. Love this image of the unacceptable offering. What other unacceptable offerings am I striving to make? Uh, so grateful for you're receiving, David. It's a receiving and experience worthy of celebration. Amen. Thank you, Megan. Uh, so grateful that you listen to spirit and work through the hard and all of it in order to bring these gifts forward to nurture this community. 
who would ever have imagined we would experience what we have at this time in history where loving all would challenge those of us who have embraced inclusivity. David, excellent sermon series. Only one question remains. Did your mom and Toby ever find a way to peacefully coexist? <laughs> I love that that question. I I do. I I do think there is um there there became a mutual um res respect <laughs> that 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 came. But yeah, don't touch my flowers or my birds. Uh, was that's a difficult that's a difficult boundary uh <laughs> thank you rachel for that uh amen good all right so this verse for us and a prayer uh so from now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view and you know for me i've changed this from my previous religious point of view though we once regarded christ in this way we do so no longer you know, there's a religious way of regarding Christ as the contamination, the disruptor, the boundary breaker that needed to be resisted. But, you know, Paul and his experience, oh my word, I was on the wrong side of how I regarded followers of the way, right? Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone, the new is here. It's a different animating reality. And here's the prayer that I want to close with for us and close this series with. So if you would, just take in a few deep breaths. And hear this prayer. Divine Spirit of God, Holy Wind, Carry us to the far corners of your expanding universe of love. Inspire us with new creative energy, incorruptible, and able to see you alive in all people and places and things. May we not turn our eyes away from what we consider defects in ourselves and others. Rather, would these be sacred spaces full of love, grace, and new beginnings? May we embrace our ruptures as necessary to new birth. May these holy ruptures be seeds of new creation, bringing all things together and making all things new. Amen. And amen. Thank you, church. It's a privilege for me to preach.